Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about writing for TV and across formats, as well as pitching shows, with a very special guest. Uh, we're joined by Gretchen Enders, who has written for Gordon McGibbon's Life on Normal Street, Grace and Frankie, Take My Wife, and recently Queen America. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, great to have you on. All right, let's get started. <laughs> So first up, just tell us a little bit about where you're from and how'd you end up in the industry and in LA? Let's see, I grew up in Denver, um, threatening my friends as a kid <laughs> that if they weren't nice to me, I wasn't going to thank them in my Oscar acceptance speech. Nice. Uh, so then I went to college in Seattle where I was an art history major because that's what you do when you want to be a famous actress. So <laughs> I took, I think, acting 101. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll just figure it out. I got this. <laughs> so I got my little Honda Civic and drove down here. We were just discussing 19 <laughs> years ago. And I quickly realized that I did not have a thick enough skin to be an actress. I mean, and I... I had no illusions. I knew I wasn't going to be a leading lady, but I always say I, I wanted to be the next Joan Cusack, mm-hmm. um, like the wacky neighbor. It was not for me. Uh, luckily, I did fall into improv, uh, which was great. I absolutely loved it. But I ended up taking a temp job that turned into a permanent job at HBO. And so <laughs> 10 years of working at HBO and doing improv at night and I was also doing sketch comedy and those sketches just kind of got longer and longer. And I realized I was writing television specs <laughs> <and laughs> at my desk at HBO. And uh, I just, I, I, I kind of just clicked one day. I was mm-hmm. also the commute from West Hollywood to Santa Monica. Oh, like I can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I saved up some money and I just quit not knowing how I was going to make it happen. But my mother gave me some great advice. She said, the universe will either give you solid ground to walk on or wings to fly. And she's very prescient, Betty Enders, uh, because the day before my last day at HBO, the owner of the theater where I performed for years and years, he's my family, Peter Marietta. He's a showrunner. He said, hey, I uh, heard you're quitting your job. Come be my assistant on my new show. And so I was kind of off to the races. Wow, that's nice. awesome. Yeah. What kind of uh, lessons did you take from those improv classes and that acting background uh, into your writing? Improv, I think, is you, you couldn't ask for a better tool to have in your little toolbox. As far as dialogue goes, I realized that Outlining is my least favorite part of the writing process, but once I get that outline and I can just put words in people's mouths, that is so fun. And I think I got a lot of that from improv, just being in long scenes with people and playing with status shifts and just finding where that funny, like unexpected funny could come from. Plus, I just think it's a great skill to have as a person, to be a good listener and in the room, you kind of do the give and take like you do in improv. So I just think it's a valuable skill. I mean, it kind of mm-hmm. gets a bad rap. I know I'm like, I was such an improv nerd. but uh, Part of the cult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's all we talked about for years. It's like we just sit and over drinks and just talk about improv. Um, <laughs> but it really, it, I, I just, I couldn't recommend it more highly. Yeah. Um, maybe not to like launch your career as a comedian, but just as great life skills. Absolutely. And what were some of your kind of early inspirations in TV and film? What did you grow up watching that made you want to get into this? I remember I've been talking about this lately, just because I've uh, been reading David Lynch's biography slash autobiography. 
my mom called me. I was babysitting. I was in eighth grade, and I was babysitting for Eric and Annie Vining. And my mom called me while I was over there, and she said, turn on Channel 9. There is this crazy show on. You have to watch it. And it was the pilot of Twin Peaks, and I got really obsessed with it. <laughs> so that was kind of my first thing, like, well, this is really different. I loved that that feeling like I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I, you know, I couldn't have processed it at the time. Like, that's what I was feeling. But I loved that. And also Northern Exposure, yeah. the, the ensemble and the quality of that. Mm-hmm. I just, I really do feel like all my writing is basically a mashup of Twin Peaks and Northern Exposure. <laughs> it's all about the Northwest. The yeah, I'm always putting people in like little towns and having <laughs> weird stuff happen to them. <laughs> do you have any hot take on the latest uh, Twin Peaks season? It was rough for me because whenever they were in Twin Peaks, I was I couldn't have been happier. But when it was the Dougie stuff, I... I was like, I can't take much more of this, which I guess was kind of the point. Um, but rewatching Twin Peaks, the originals, is it's just such a joy. I missed all of the comedy when I was a kid. I was like, oh, this is really gritty and it's this melodrama. But then I, you know, watching it again as an adult, there's so much comedy there. All the subversive humor, yeah, yeah, totally. And can you talk us through sort of uh, just to go back to HBO, uh, mm-hmm. those first jobs in the industry, and if you have any advice for assistants listening to us in terms of uh, making a mark and a good impression. I worked in the awards department, which wasn't very helpful. Once I decided to be a writer, I'm like, well, if I had worked in development, that probably would have been a lot more helpful. But (laughs) as far as just being able to take responsibility for work and making deadlines and learning how to talk on the phone and write emails, you know, just all that kind of stuff, being professional uh, has been invaluable. Uh, I think I'm seen as a grown up. (laughs) Like, wow, you know how to talk to people on the phone. Yeah. But... I think for assistance, it's really just listening and not overstepping and just realizing that we all have stuff to learn from anybody, whether it's a good boss or a bad boss, you can learn something. But just to really take your time and not push too hard, that might not be great advice, but just keeping those ears open is the the best thing to do. And out of curiosity, the awards department at HBO, are they the people who are kind of like lobbying and campaigning for awards for their shows, or are they just the person who's polishing all the, the rows of awards that the shows have gotten? <laughs> so funny. I've gotten that question before. Like, I, yeah, I just have a little white cloth that I go around <laughs> polishing all the Emmys. Uh, no, it actually is just paperwork. Uh, it's submitting for all these different mm-hmm. awards. I mean, so you're the person to blame for all those screeners that we get. I wish then. Oh, no, luckily, that wasn't part of my job. But back when I started, it was VHS tape. So imagine oh, that. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just rewinding tapes. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you went from HBO into being a showrunner's assistant. Can you talk us through that kind of job and, and what you learned there? Oh, man, it was such a lifesaver. I couldn't have asked for a better entree into the world. Um, first of all, Peter is not only a friend, but he's been my mentor. I mean, we still talk weekly. (laughs) I have constant questions for him. So that started off, I split my time. Well, the first season was primarily his assistant as a producer, setting up meetings and doing that whole thing. But then the second season, I split my time between being his primary assistant and also being the writer's assistant, which was fantastic. I don't know what it would have been like to go into a room without having first seen it. And again, I kept my mouth shut most of the time. You had another guest that was talking about how she'd just have pitches ready and stuff like that. So I did. I had my little file full of of things, but I never felt like 
I was in a position where I was comfortable pitching, even just jokes or storylines, but I liked having them ready in case they needed to. And it was a super warm and great room, but I was so green that I was like, I just have way more to learn than to just start throwing out jokes and that kind of stuff. So yeah, and getting shot down. Yeah. <laughs> and also just formatting, like learning how to actually write a script because I was just winging it for so long. And so that was also invaluable. And how was that process uh, transitioning from the short as assistant position into getting that first writing job and actual script? Well, I was very lucky in that the first season, the primary writer's assistant and I were we were given to, so we wrote those together, which was hard because we didn't know each other and I'd never worked with a partner before. So that was a steep learning curve. Um, <laughs> and then the second season, I got my own episode. Um, she had moved on to a different show. So that got me into the WGA, which was so lucky. What was the show? It was called Level Up and it was a live action show for Cartoon Network. It was, I think it was their first foray into live action and wow. it, it was a sweet little show and some great actors have come out of it, but it was widely panned by the viewers. They're like, we want our cartoons. <laughs> like, this is a really sweet show. Just give it a chance. Do you have any uh, tips or advice for those people who are in that intermediary period, kind of as an assistant right on the verge of maybe being staffed or getting that first script? I have a script that I wrote years ago that is still the script that my agent sends out. And that's what gets me the most meetings. So I would say just write something that you will defend until the end of your days that is 100% you. Don't write like, oh, I need to write a family comedy or I need to write a procedural. Just write what you want to watch, I think, is is the best advice I can give to that because that's something that that's your calling card and you know hopefully someday we'll sell it but I can just give someone a pdf like this is me stand behind that how'd you go about finding your reps as well were you already working with someone before you were even on the show or did that come about while you were there I didn't have a rep for level up I'm trying to think how this worked out so I had a friend that worked in development as an assistant at HBO and he knew some agents and managers. And he, without me knowing, had slipped my script to <laughs> an agent. And so that was my first agent. And they got me a couple meetings, but it wasn't a whole lot. Then when I was on Gordimer Gibbons, this guy comes up to me while I'm on set. He said, hey, I read your script. I really liked it. And he ended up being a rep for a few of the people on the show. And they just really really dug him. So I kind of chased him like, Hey, are you looking for more clients? <laughs> and he's been such a champion of mine. We've been together ever since. And I know anybody else that loves their reps as much as I do. <laughs> the way I talk about it, people are like, you're not supposed to love your reps. I'm like, I do. <laughs> Rich and Melissa are the best. Uh, can you talk about the process of getting on Gordimer and that first day in the runner's room? That must have been pretty nerve wracking. Oh, yeah. I remember the creative exec over at Cartoon Network on Level Up. She had moved over to Amazon in the interim, and she was looking for a baby, a staff writer. And she remembered that I wasn't a jerk. So <laughs> so she had kind of found me again. So it was a combination between her and my, my agent at the time. And then I just really sparked with the showrunner. So I got the offer and I don't know, there was something with the, the deal closing or something. I started three days after everybody else. So that was a little weird wow, going yeah. into the room. And also, 
like, oh, I got to make cookies for everybody. And my boyfriend's <laughs> like, don't make cookies. Like, come on, pretend like this isn't your first rodeo. <laughs> but yeah, it was really just, I, I didn't want to come on too strong. So I gave myself, you know, a couple days to kind of get the lay of the land and get personalities. Because I think that's a hard thing about being in a room is really knowing when you can push, when you should sit back and listen. And again, it's that improv, that give and take. But I think it is important to really be aware of how you're being perceived in those first few days, because that's going to set the tone for the rest of the season. And it's, so, I mean, you know, first impression, right? It's hard to to come back from something if you are, you know, being this really big, pushy personality. Mm-hmm. So you're saying don't bring cookies. <laughs> <laughs> now I think about it, I'm like, I got to brought cookies, but yeah, <laughs> it did feel like it was kind of an amateur move, but I, I just... I always want to bring something. My mom always taught me whenever you go somewhere, bring something. And you ended up actually receiving a WGA award for one of your episodes, right? I did. Congratulations. What do you think it was about that episode that was special? And what was your your process in writing that? Well, I wrote that with Aminta Goyle, who was uh, another writer on the show. And the hard thing with the WGA awards, especially for comedy, and we were in the children's category, but I consider it a comedy is that everybody has their fingers in every script. So it's so it's it's not fair to really credit one writer or a team because everybody has I mean from breaking the story to outlining to joke pitches to just moments and you know it's everybody's work. I mean I'm happy to have the WGA <laughs> award on my my shelf but it's kind of a bummer that singles are singled out. So was there anything about writing for children's television in particular that you felt you did differently than later on when you were writing for more adult-focused audiences? I am definitely a darker person. My sensibility is definitely weird and bent. So working in children's television, I had to pull that back a lot. I mean, Gordimer is a really special show, and I highly recommend it. So it did have that kind of weird bent a little bit. But my showrunner, who I was very close to, still am, Luke Matheny, would get my first draft and be like, Enders, come on. (laughs) I can't do this. Like, you're right. Uh, But I always try to push it. And I think that in kids' television, trying to sanitize it too much is a detriment. I mean, kids, I know the stuff that I watched when I was a kid, you know, I didn't watch the really sweet cartoons. I liked the dark stuff. And I think that kids still do. And I think shying away from that is just, you're not going to put the good stuff out for the kids. And uh, how was that process of moving from Gordon Moore to a more adult show like Grace and Frankie? Not that different, actually. I We had this joke on Gordon Moore that I was like, yeah, friendship, friendship, you know, the end. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, I'm on Grace and Frankie. And it's like, yeah, friendship, friendship, the end. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's very similar. It's just the language is a little different, and you can put them in different situations. But if you're writing for real people in real situations and you have those real connections, it's not that different. It shouldn't be, I don't think, you know. And how were you guys breaking uh, episodes, uh, cards, board? Well, we're... well uh, unfortunately, I have really good handwriting, so I was on the board a lot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go in the first day and just scroll yeah. like a doctor's note, and they would be like, oh, cool, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, in this room, I did sit on my hands. I'm like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna show anybody the goods. But so it would just be sitting around, and we would just blue sky, like 
just throw up any idea, the weirder the better. And those actually would be the ones that would hit, the really weird ones. So it would, you know, people would just come in with a few ideas and then the story just lays out in front of you and it gets so exciting. And that's when someone would throw the dry erase marker at me and I'd run to the board. And it, <laughs> those were the best days when everybody's like, yes, and then we do this, yes, and then we do this. And it rolls out like that. And then the showrunner comes in and you pitch it to him and he's like, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> We can't do poker playing dogs. We're like, oh, well, we have this whole story. It was great. It could be its own show. It's yeah. Netflix. Anything can happen. What was it like writing for such incredible actors who are like just veterans and icons and things like that? Oh, boy. Um, just quick little tangential, not about writing, but Jane and Lily came in at the beginning of, I was on season four of Grace and Frankie. I'm assuming you're talking about Jane and Lily. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they came in at the start of production and, you know, meeting the new writers or a few of us and saying hi to everybody. And at one point I felt someone just rubbing my back and I turned around and it was Lily Tomlin. And I was like, okay, don't make any moves. <laughs> Lily Tomlin is really sweetly rubbing your back. Uh, I mean, they're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. But also coming in season four, all of those voices have been established. So it really is mimicking those voices. To that point, how do you adapt yourself to merge your voice into that of a showrunner and an established show like that? I think it really is going in and seeing like I, I watched of course the the first three seasons and which episodes I really sparked to and where I thought they were doing their best work both writers and actors and then just kind of pitching to those areas and and oftentimes when you are talking about the big arcs of the season I mean there, there's certain things that you need to get done so maybe the episode that I have I couldn't really pitch to what I wanted and I was always pitching big hijinksy stuff. <laughs> like, no, we need to tell a story about these friends. There were 14 of us. It was a huge room. So, and they were super, super wonderful and welcoming when I came in. So they're like, eh, don't maybe steer away from this and try this. But it's really in the rewriting phase of that, that you get that voice down. What do you usually look out in those uh, rewrite stages when you get that script back to see the differences? I think it just really varies on how good that first draft comes in. And hopefully it's not too far off because especially with that show, we broke down those outlines. There was so much dialogue in the outlines, but I wasn't given the pages to rewrite. We would sit in a room and we'd split rooms and we'd sit and it would be on the screen and we would seriously go line by line, read it out loud. Like, no, nope, that doesn't feel right. So it was definitely a group effort. So it sounds like that was a pretty big room. Obviously you've written for other shows where the room is a lot smaller. What was it like working on Take My Wife? How was that kind of different to Grace and Frankie? Well, that was a really special opportunity because the head writer is a close friend of mine, and we were so excited to work together. I, her name's Shauna McGarry. She's a tremendous writer, and I respect her so much. So that was really fun, just being in the trenches with her. And we only had six weeks to break and write a season. Wow. So it was, I'm like, I got you, girl. Let's do this. And it was a blur <laughs> how we did that, but... Yeah, we did. And it was, I can't wait to work with her. And she's gonna, we always say like, our next shows, whichever one goes first, we will be each other's lieutenants until the end of time. <laughs> and were Cameron and Rhea in the room as well for that? They, uh, they had so many things to do because they were technically show running. So they also had to, they were handling mm -hmm. 
the overseeing of everything else as well. So they weren't in the room as much as I'm sure they would have liked. But you know, we, we of course, before we could move forward, we'd have to pitch out episodes to them. And they both come from a stand up background, obviously. And I think a lot of people don't realize what a different discipline that is. So I think they were super excited to learn how to write and also just overwhelmed by in, in a good way, like the scope of, of what that means, what a script entails. How is that breaking process if you only have uh, six weeks to do that whole season? Uh, how did you guys manage that? There wasn't a lot of downtime. It wasn't all like, hey, what'd you do last night? It was like we'd get in and just that car is going 60 miles an hour. <laughs> um, I would have loved to have had more time to really just sit down with Cam and Rhea and just like, what does this show? What do you want it to say? What do you want to say about relationships? I don't think that we didn't have the time to really dig deep into that the the bigger themes of the show but that was you know it's also fun to just like okay <laughs> let's make this show tomorrow <laughs> so moving on to writing for queen america what was that experience like and was it any different writing for such a new player i guess in the tv space in facebook watch we didn't know what Facebook watch was going to be. I'd argue I still don't know. <laughs> so whenever I try to write, watch something, the sound doesn't sync up and it's very frustrating. <laughs> so I just, I just have to listen to it. Yeah. Again, it was, you know, we had a really tight deadline and it was uh, just off to the races right away. Megan Oppenheimer knew exactly what she wanted, which is fantastic. And you definitely need that as far as when you do have a tight deadline, you need the boss to know where they want to go. And we knew where, where we wanted to end, which was also very helpful. But then finding out about casting and getting Catherine Zeta-Jones was bananas. And just that entire cast is crazy. And then Alethea, who separately, she didn't even know that I was writing on it when she got the script. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and then she knocked it out of the park like she usually does. That must have been an amazing surprise though, when you guys reunited. <laughs> well, it was in Atlanta, so I wasn't on set. Oh. So that was a big bummer. Yeah, but well, I know we're going to, she doesn't have a choice. We have to work together again. <laughs> so you've now worked with multiple of those OTTs, Netflix, Amazon, and now Facebook. Uh, what was that process of interacting with them? Did they have any specific mandates or how different was it from a, a more traditional network? I have never worked for a traditional network, so I have no idea. Um, like, And CISO doesn't even exist anymore. So it's just like, what? <laughs> We're serving many different masters, so that's you just that's just the way it is, and there's no use in fighting it. But it's what I've learned over the last couple of shows is what is the note behind the note? What are they bumping up against? They might not have the answers. If they did, then they should be in the writer's room. So we just have to come up with different solutions. And I actually really do enjoy the problem solving aspects of like once you get a notes call like okay how how are we going to do this and yeah and it's also how, how to take i've learned a lot especially when i was working with peter uh, marietta when he was developing just watching him take in notes because he's been doing this forever he's unflappable when notes come in which is a great lesson like okay this doesn't mean throwing away this sometimes it does but <laughs> usually it doesn't mean throwing away the scripts we can fix this we can get it to where they want it or they think they want it it's also if you stand behind your work and you stand behind a story it's okay to fight that point and sometimes they'll be like yeah you know what you're right you know, you've defended that position and it doesn't have to be a butting heads or like yelling conversation. It shouldn't be. If you really do feel strongly 
you know, pick your battles. And if it's a battle you're willing to fight, then hopefully you'll win. If it's the, if it makes the show better, right? Mm-hmm. It has to serve the show. So moving on to kind of like a bigger picture of uh, your career in the industry, how do you manage the instability of being a writer and moving from show to show and trying to kind of piece all of that together to, to make a living? I'm definitely a type A control freak. <laughs> so <laughs> working at HBO for 10 years, I knew exactly when I could take vacation and I knew exactly what my paycheck looked like and everything was, it was just known. So that has been probably the biggest struggle figuring out how to manage that. But one of your past guests said that her biggest piece of advice was save money. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so cheap. I just am like smog the dragon with like, no, this is mine. I'm not going to spend any of this because who knows. But after Queen America, that's been my longest stint uh, not working. I'm not getting paid to work, I should say, because mm-hmm. uh, I've been developing. So that finished up in early May. And then I just started this new room a few weeks ago. So that was a big chunk of the year that I had to really focus on motivating myself because no one else is going to, there's no deadlines coming in. Um, and so I really did. There was a a time where I reached this point where I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> and so I did. I just sat down like, you have to do work-related stuff from 10 to 3. That doesn't mean writing, but that, you know, that could be administration stuff, that can be just taking a walk and thinking about new ideas, organizing stuff, but then at 3 o'clock, then I allowed myself, my vice is crafting, so then I could <laughs> work on whatever <laughs> craft I was doing. And that, mentally, that was so helpful, and I realized that, of course, I was being more productive. Having a routine, yeah, very yes, important. Routine is definitely important. Um, moving on to the staffing of, how do you take a meeting as a writer? Do you have any advice of dealing with that anticipation, the stress, uh, that whole system? Yeah. So a few years ago, when I actually did start taking generals, I remember my friend Lauren met with me before my first general um, to just kind of talk me down because I was so nervous and I was like in a flop sweat. She's like, okay, this is well, this is what's going to happen. You're just going to sit down. You're just going to talk, but maybe have some ideas of what you want to talk about. And I just remember going to that into that meeting so nervous. And now a general is like, oh, okay, yeah, I got a general later. Maybe I'll shower for it. <laughs> I, I will always shower for a general. But now they're fun. It's an opportunity to just meet a new person. And I don't stress if we don't spark. If we do, though, that is the best. When you you look up and spend an hour and a half, and now they're late for their next meeting because you've just had <laughs> such a good time. And I've made some legitimate friends through that process. We're now socially active and that sounds weird <laughs> it's like something your doctor asks you are you socially yeah, active? active i am with development execs <laughs> so that's been that's fun that's fun to know that oh that got so much easier uh now i've had the opportunity to pitch on projects for you know people bring books to me like hey will you pitch on this book and again i would just get super anxious and now those are just kind of a breeze too. So the new struggle has been actually pitching my projects or managing that anxiety and going in just being loose and breezy because I'm not <laughs> not a loose and breezy pitcher, which <laughs> man, I can't wait to get there. I, I can't wait to to know that like, oh, I don't have to worry about this pitch. I got it. And uh, we'll talk about pitching in a moment, but just to go back on the meeting of it all, do you ever follow up with them? What's your process or do you let your reps uh, take care of that? I think it depends on the meeting. If it is a general, I do send an email the day after and just try to keep it 
as light as possible. And I always try to include like a little inside joke, mm-hmm. which sometimes those have carried on for years. Like we'll just like <laughs> pass this inside joke back and forth. Uh, but for a pitch, it's my understanding, and maybe I'm doing this wrong, which is maybe why I haven't sold it yet, that it's your reps that do the, the follow-up for a pitch. But for generals, I always do follow-up. And how much work are you doing before a pitch? What's your kind of preparation for that? Oh, um, pacing and stressing <laughs> and <laughs> talking myself into it. For this project that um, Alethea and I have taken out, it's been a long process it's been over a year that we've that she's been attached to it, and before that, I sold it to IFC. So I've I've been living with these, but honestly, the day before a pitch, I'm still just like I'm going to forget everything. <laughs> so I script it out, and I really try to stay as close to that script as possible while still sounding conversational, which is that's the struggle, right? Mm-hmm. Like how to find those little moments where you can veer off and come back in, because no one just wants to hear someone recite. A monologue at you. So uh, trying to find those spots. But I've also, <laughs> there's another project with uh, another production company I'm working on. And they are really into the workshopping of the pitch, which has been great, because we find new moments and new things in everyone. But somebody came in, so I was like, oh, a new fresh, fresh set of ears. And he was like, you know what, just throw that away, just throw that script away and just talk about it. Like okay, okay, you know, just you know, just whatever, whatever <laughs> comes to your mind. Just you know, this project. Just just talk about it. So then I had another rehearsal, and I completely melted down. Like I just, I didn't know where I was going. I was rambling. I was all over the place, and it did turn into a very embarrassing meltdown. So I need, I need to personally be structured. Yeah, like yeah. that's just you know, I'm like I'm sorry if you guys feel like it's rehearsed because guess what, it is because I care about this and I want you to know exactly what I want you to know about this project. What kind of lessons have you learned through that process of pitching that you've also taken into your own writing? I think that I tend to be as a writer more just, Oh, this feels right. Like more instinctual, like, Oh, this feels right. I'm not thinking big themes. So in pitching people like, Oh, so what, what is this show about? I was like, Oh, it's about a little town. It's about this weird little town in Colorado. And they're like, no, but what is it about? <laughs> what is it really oh, about? Yeah. Oh, it has to be about something. And people will put that on the show and that I'm like, Oh, that's great. Yeah. What, what she said, that's what it's about. <laughs> so I think that in coming up with new ideas, I'm approaching them as opposed to the circumstance of a weird little town or a relationship. I'm coming at them thematically. Like what do, what's the bigger thing I want to say? Which sounds crazy that I didn't know that before. <laughs> but now that's now that's where I'm coming at it from. So having sold some shows before, aside from a great pitch, what else really goes into that process of selling a TV show to a network or a studio? Well, the first one, I didn't really pitch. They had read the script and then over breakfast, they just had some questions. So that is the closest to just like, oh, just talk about the show. But they were leading me where, where they wanted me to go. And that was a great process. That was with IFC. And we developed a second episode and they were tremendous. And A24 came on board and it was just a dream. And then it just it just didn't fit what their brand was. It was just different. But we all left with hugs and like, can't wait to find something else to put on your network. So that was really great too not take it personally. Um, it just wasn't right. It just wasn't the right time. And that's that has nothing to do with me or my abilities or the script or them. They're fantastic. 
The second one was just also, they didn't see it as a series. This was for a, a different project. So they bought it as a feature, which was a bummer to me because I knew this story had legs more than a feature could do. But, you know, I'm, I don't have a whole bunch of credits. I can't just like stand my ground. So I wrote it as a feature and guess what? It didn't work. (laughs) So, so that didn't go forward, but we're taking that back out as a series too. I know I'm being super vague with what these projects are, but it doesn't really matter. (laughs) And how is it taking out a show with attachments? You mentioned Aletha, like how do you find those people and get them uh, into your project and involved? Well, Alethea, we worked together on Gordon Moore Gibbons' Life on Normal Street. And as this is what I'm about to tell you, it's become part of our pitch uh, in that I didn't realize that the writer-director relationship could be a collaboration. I thought it was an assembly line, like, okay, here's my script. Now you take it and you go for it. But she was just like, nope, we sat in chairs together. And she's like, what about this? I'm like, oh, I love that. And I'm like, oh, what about this? And on set, she would always be at my chair, like, what do you think about this? Could we tweak this? And so it was super collaborative and it just felt like ours, like that really felt like ours. So I want to continue that kind of thing moving forward. And it's just super special that I knew her before. I know we can work really well together. But on this other project, I don't know they're going out there. The production company is is going out, they're going out to different directors. And that's a little scarier because I don't know who these people are, how they're going to be to work with. You know, it's just that X factor of what that personality collaboration will be. And sometimes it's not great. So mm-hmm. I'm just a little scared. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm hopeful, but moving forward when I sell a show, I'm most fearful about that X factor. And I just know that I want people that I trust in that room, not because, oh, I want. You know, I want to do so-and-so a favor. I just know that for me, like when Shauna hired me, she couldn't have asked for a harder worker because I'm such good friends with her. I don't want to let my friend down. So it's this added bonus of having close friends that will pour their hearts out and, and work so hard for you. And that's what I want to build that. I understand why Judd Apatow always works with his friends. It's always like, oh, this little <laughs> boys club. Well, guess what? They all get along. <laughs> I'm sure like that's the hardest part when you find someone that you're butting heads with. I mean, that just makes the day so hard. So I just want to be surrounded with people that I respect and who I love and adore. And once someone's picked up one of your projects, do you have any tips on kind of surviving that development process and making sure your original vision is still intact while making it the best it can be? I always err on the side of yes. With When IFC first took on Grand Lake, that's the name of the project, they had some notes on the original and I said, okay, yep, I'll let me do those for you. And I did to the best of my abilities. I really thought that they were interesting notes. So let me dive back into that script. And then when I gave it back, they're like, you know what? We were wrong. The original was better, which I don't think ever happens. <laughs> uh, but I just want something to get made and I want it to get made really well. So I think that if you approach a project with, yes, let's see if we can make that work as opposed to being really stubborn, then you're already starting off that relationship in a good direction, because hopefully that will come back on you too. When you, like I said, if you have that battle to fight, you're, you're already in a relationship where you've given some ground to. 
So outside of TV, how do you spread your wings uh, as a creative and uh, write outside of that format? And uh, what has been your own experience with that? When I first started writing, I kept hearing, like, you have to write every day. You have to write every day or you're not a writer. And that super stressed me out because I don't write every day. And so then I started, I'm like, maybe I'm not a real writer. So... (laughs) So that advice I just think is harmful. (laughs) 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 Write when you want to write and when you know that you're being most productive. And you know, if you're honest with yourself, you know if you're being lazy or if you're really working hard. So anyway, so that's just, I don't write every day. But I I love to take a class. I love classes more than anything. Mm -hmm. Drawing, taxidermy, dancing, like whatever. (laughs) Actually, you really did a taxidermy class? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure my friends who are listening are like, oh, wow, she made it a whole half hour without talking about taxidermy. <laughs> no, let's just topics now. Let's just talk about taxidermy for a no, while. Uh, because I think that those interests that you have, and it doesn't certainly have to be taxidermy, although I couldn't recommend it highly enough, that's what's going to sustain you in those downtimes, and that's what's going to keep you going creatively. So if I'm not feeling like writing one day, I'm picking up my sketch pad and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm drawing something. I'm making something. I have to make something. That's what I really do rely on in the downtime. And you've also been writing for podcasts or radio plays. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm so excited. So this just came randomly to me through my reps. They're like, hey, Audible wants to talk to you. Okay, so get on the phone with them. And this is they had just done a couple originals. This is a few years ago. And they said, we're, you know, we're doing this series with Nick Offerman producing. It's called Nick Offerman's Bedtime Stories for Cynics. And it's basically adult bedtime stories. So if you have any pitches, let us know. So I sent them a few ideas and they liked one of them. So I sent that in and Tony Hale ended up recording it for the first season. Yeah, that's awesome. And then season two, they're like, give us some more. So I think I have four in the second season that's premiering, I hope, later this month. And then we just got along famously. I just really liked the guys over at Audible. And so they're like, hey, we're, we want to get into long form, like old radio plays. So if you have any ideas, send us. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm sure I can come up with something. Send them a couple ideas. They liked one of them. It was a blast, right? It felt like my old improv days. Because I could have a five-page scene where it's just two people talking, and I don't have to, like, further the action. <laughs> so, and that was a blast. And they are now in Vancouver recording it with an amazing production team who did This Sounds Serious. It's a serial parody. Oh, no. um, and a lot of people don't realize it's a parody, <laughs> which and I just love those people all the more. Their voice actors are amazing because a lot of I, I try to listen to as many as i can of the the scripted podcasts i mean homecoming was great but so often i feel like the voice acting will just pull me right out of it I'm like i can tell that these people aren't in it so i'm super excited that this is an amazing team they have and yeah. from the, the writing side of things how do you go about structuring uh, a podcast or an episode or a radio play yeah so it was a, a big overarching story and they you know they gave me the parameters like we want to do 15 minute episodes so then it really was just plotting out when i want information released and how i want to do that it was these really long scenes and i'm a kind of a 
exposition snob. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hate exposition. So that it's such a fun exercise to really dole that out and have the listener in this case, you know, a couple steps behind, like what is happening? And I, cause I know as a viewer and a listener, I love being in that spot, really leaning forward and trying to figure out what's going on and not being spoon fed. Especially in a format where you only have uh, one sense, so to speak, uh, the, mm -hmm. the listening sense, how do you go about conveying uh, information? That's tough, uh, especially when you have multiple people in a scene. I have, the, I think the biggest ones I have are like an eight person scene. So just making sure that people know who they're talking to. <laughs> hey, Sasha, you know, but in a natural <laughs> way, because I'm not saying your names every five seconds. So when they got the script up in Vancouver, Like, this is, like, we're really impressed that you were able to write for radio. And I think it is because I listened to so much that, it, it again, it's that instinctual thing as opposed to knowing what I was doing and those old improv chops. Were there any lessons that you took from TV writing into radio plays and then things that you kind of had to abandon and do very differently? The visual component is tough. At one point, there's almost like a stargate. <laughs> so... <laughs> having people see this thing and like, oh, look at this Stargate, you know, it's just it, that that was difficult. And being able to, to describe something for the listener without it feeling unnatural, because we wouldn't describe what that painting looks like to each mm -hmm. other. You know, that was a challenge. But I love a challenge like that when you can actually get there yeah. at the end. You know, it's not an open-ended challenge when you're like, oh, I succeeded at something. Yeah, like no one's really like, look at that door. It's white yeah. and rectangular yeah. with brass knobs. Should we go through it? <laughs> Should we go through that door right over there to the left? <laughs> and what was it like modernizing uh, that format of a radio play to modern audiences through a podcast? Uh, I don't know, because I didn't do the, I haven't done the old ones, but it, yeah, it, it doesn't... Um, When they also are amazing sound designers, these guys, they are recording everything on location. So it's outside, it's in like creaky barns and stuff. So that's going to be really fun. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have my earbuds in all day. Like whenever I have five minutes, those are in. I'm like, I can't stand silence. So I think it was just, what what would I want to listen to? Kind of like with TV too. What do I want to watch? So sort of wrapping things up, what are your kind of goals for the rest of your career? Where do you see yourself and what would you like to be doing? I thought I was going to be a soldier for my career, which I was more than happy with. I am very good at taking orders. <laughs> I'm very good at having a boss. Uh, I enjoy that very much, being told what to do. And I'm in a situation now where my boss is amazing and she's so organized and it's just been a dream. I know we're only a few weeks in, but it's great. But now I do, I feel like I really do want to be the head of a show. Yeah. Um, I want to be part of creating that culture as far as people working together and feeling heard and feeling like they're a part of something really great or we're at least striving for something really great. I want people to, I, I'm really trying to learn how to be a good leader. And uh, I have a great example right now, so I'm just constantly taking notes <laughs> on how she makes people feel in that room. I think that's so important. And just surround myself with really talented writers that hopefully <laughs> I know. Because that's, again, uh, back to the staffing thing. Anybody can seem normal for an hour while you're meeting with a showrunner. The showrunner, too. Like, <laughs> But it's just like, you're going to be in a room with these people for eight hours a day. Again, that X factor is really tough 
Are there any uh, specific lessons of leadership that you would like to share? Well, she told us on the first day that she got some great advice from her showrunner friends, which was first hire people that inspire you, which felt really great. And she said, you're also going to be on like a five month road trip. So choose people that you like. And I think that you can tell if, if you feel like you can get along with someone for a long time, but also that feeling of like, and I know this to be true for me, that I, I certainly don't know everything. I wouldn't ever claim to know everything, even if this show that I've been working on for years and it's my baby and I know it inside and out. If I bring somebody else in, they're going to find something else great about it and to be open to that, but also to be super organized. <laughs> <laughs> Learning skills like that as far as the organization and thinking bigger picture while thinking about the micro. There's just so much. I don't know how these showrunners do it, but I don't have to figure it out because I want to sell a show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we go, we have a few final questions. Number one, what are you watching on TV right now? Well, uh, whenever I get the opportunity, I talk about my favorite show, which is Patriot. Oh. You guys know it? Yeah. Well, uh, we had a Franklin used to work on that show. We uh, passed. Uh, anyway. but Oh, my <laughs> God. I love it so much. I... Man, if I could go back in time and somehow get in with Steve Conrad, that's what I, I want to work on something that is so beautiful and mind bending and funny and charming and smart. It just It's everything to me. I love it so much. I'm really enjoying Russian Doll. I have three more episodes. Uh, I super dig it. That's great. And guess what? I love Survivor. Well, I'm a huge Survivor <laughs> I fan. I know, it's turning into Every Survivor episode, we talk about Survivor now. This is great. This is my best life. <laughs> I know. Like, what are we doing right now? It's so I hard. Like, much Let's not talk about Survivor. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. This is what I have to deal with every week. All right. So uh, another question we had, do you have any final advice for TV writers, whether they be aspiring writers, working, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, advice is hard because everybody is different and that advice of write every day really messed me up for a while. I would just say, try to cultivate hobbies. That's what's going to make you an interesting person in the room too. You also have to bring your own personality and interests because it will sustain you in the downtimes, but also it just, it just helps being a well-rounded person. So whatever that interest is, it can be racing cars or, Raising dogs, whatever that is. Um, Taxidermy. Taxidermy. <laughs> Her name's Alice Markham. She has a studio in Highland Park. She's amazing. That That's what I feel like is great because there are so many young writers that because of formats like this where you can learn uh, some great tools like how to show up in town and hit the ground running, which is fantastic. I'm like 10 years behind everybody because I have a 10 years in <laughs> HBO. But I think that Jumping in so quickly, while it's great and it's a great opportunity, sometimes there's a lot more of life to have lived <laughs> to bring those life experiences to the table. So don't skimp on that. Um, enjoy your life and build friendships and yeah. be a good person. 
Life isn't about writing. Writing is about life. Oh, bam. <laughs> Damn. All right. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Uh, Have you said that before? That's amazing. I've not. I just came up with it. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm a genius. I'm going to put it up on the, one of those quote websites yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. Brainy quote or something. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any resources for our listeners, be it books, websites, apps, podcasts, anything you can think of? Um, this podcast is fantastic. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Number Thank you. one. I just watch as much as I possibly can and read a bunch. I just, I feel like reading everything, fiction, nonfiction, stuff that you didn't know that you would be interested in, you'll find something in. So I think, yeah, taking little adventures, but nothing specifically is, you know, save the cat's great, but yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a tome that I return to. Wait, I'm going to take that back. Mm-hmm. Is it called the Hollywood format? Yes. I have that book is so dog-eared because... You know, it's, it's, very it's the nitty gritty because when you're reading a script and it's not formatted correctly, whew, that just tells me a whole <laughs> lot. So yeah, I'm that the formatting is important to me right. as a controlling person. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, uh, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, you'll get exclusive content, opportunities, and merch, and we can keep producing a great show for you every week. Thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in, and thanks so much to Gretchen for joining us. Thanks, guys. Of course. Uh, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 124. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Is there anywhere uh, people can find you on social media that you want them to find you? I love Instagram at Gretchen Enders. Nice. I'm not on Twitter. Sorry. I'll put that in the show notes. (laughs) If you have any thoughts, feedback, or ideas for future episodes, you can send them to us at ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Uh, Next week, we're going to be having a discussion about the emergence of these TV writing uh, incubators and programs and the evolution of access and barriers to entry in the industry. Mm, It's going to be pretty depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, it will. So tune in for that. Maybe bring some ice cream and tissues. (laughs) And whiskey. (laughs) See you next week. See you then.